Christians supposed to be involved in politics? Listen to Adrian Rogers. The big question is not, can you be a Christian and be involved in government? The big question is, can you be a Christian and not be involved? Can you obey this Word of God and not be involved? The Word of God and the book of Romans is going to speak very clearly and very plainly about this matter of Christian citizenship. Welcome to Love Worth Finding, featuring the dynamic lessons of pastor, teacher, and author Adrian Rogers. What does the Bible say about Christian citizenship? What are our responsibilities, duties, and rights? What are Christians to do, to think, and how are we instructed to behave? Many believers shy away from political involvement for various reasons. Some are discouraged. Others are intimidated or annoyed. As Christians, our responsibility is first and foremost to God, but we do have a responsibility to human government. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 13 as Adrian Rogers shares more about our Christian citizenship. The book of Romans is the constitution of Christianity. And I want to tell you it is a solid word for an unsure age. And our age without the Word of God is an unsure age. And I'm speaking to many people. You're looking for something solid. You're looking for a place to stand and yet you feel like you're walking around on eggshells and jello. Thank God for the solid rock of God's Word. And I want you to see what the Bible has to say about Christian citizenship. What are our responsibilities, our duties, our rights? Is the Bible oblivious to this? Or did God ordain human government and tell His people to stay out of it? What are Christians to do, to think, and how are we going to behave? Now, I the first to confess that Many Christians have simply dropped out. And let me tell you the reasons that many have dropped out. We're going to read the Scripture now in just a moment. But let me tell you why many have dropped out. Uh, they see involvement somehow as the social gospel. And uh, I am against the social gospel as much as anybody else because there's only one gospel, and that's the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood gospel where Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But there's some who have substituted culture for Calvary, and, and others think that if we get all involved in uh, government, that all we're trying to do is make the world a better place to go to hell from. And uh, so they just simply drop out because they think, well, we're not to get involved in the social gospel. Now, there are other people who have dropped out just simply because they have given up hope. They say that America has crossed the point of no return, and so what they've done, <laughs> they've just hunkered down, and they have begun to sing the song, Hold the Fort. And they're just waiting for Jesus to get here and to rescue them, and so they've just uh, given up hope. Now, there are others who have dropped out, not that they equate... Uh, activity with the social gospel are not because they are hopeless, but because they see politics as dirty. Something that would defile them, that uh, we as Christians are to be otherworldly, that our kingdom is not of this world, and so therefore uh, we don't want to get contaminated, so we will just uh, stay away 
from all of that, and some folks really believe that. And then there are others, and a great number like this, who have dropped out and don't participate, very frankly, because they are intimidated. They are intimidated. The ACLU and others have, have prated so much about this thing called church and state and the separation of church and state that they think because we are Christians, somehow we have no rights, no privileges, no prerogatives, that we have been disenfranchised. And they just tell us, why don't you shut up and go back inside your little stained glass prisons and leave it to us to take care of it? Now, uh, very frankly, a lot of people who are believers have uh, more or less dropped out. Now, where are we going to get the answers? I mean, how are we going to know the answers to these questions? Are we going to get the answers to uh, self-serving politicians? Not all politicians are self-serving, but are we going to let some self-serving politician, A, try to co-opt the church and use the church for his or her purposes, or perhaps intimidate the church so that he can or she can have his or her way? Are the politicos going to tell us what is right or what is wrong? Do, do they know the answer? Where are we going to get the answers? Are we going to get the answers from the humanist and the secularist who don't believe in Christ, don't believe in God, don't believe in the church? Are we going to get the answers from some egg-headed philosopher who's going to sit back and bump his fingers and tell us what he thinks? I'm going to tell you where we're going to get the answers. Right here. Right here. The Word of God and the book of Romans is going to speak very clearly and very plainly about this matter of Christian citizenship. Begin now in chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now the word powers, there's a translation of the word that means authorities. And when he's saying higher powers, what he is literally talking about is the civil magistrate, the governmental leader. Let every soul be subject unto the civil magistrate. For there is no power, that is, no authority, but of God. And the powers that be, that is, the rulers, the leaders, the magistrates that be, are ordained of God. Now, you might think of your minister as an ordained minister, but have you ever thought of your governor as an ordained governor? Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, that is, the authorities, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist, that is, rebellers, uh, shall receive uh, to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power of the civil magistrate? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, that is, of your governor, your ruler, your king, your president, your mayor, your council. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is, who is he talking about now? The civil magistrate. He, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor 
to whom honor. Now that's the scripture we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at it basically under three headings. And the very first heading that we're going to look at today is the reasons for human government. And you're going to find, and when we get to the bottom line, the big question is not, can you be a Christian and be involved in government? The big question is, can you be a Christian and not be involved? And not be involved. <laughs> can you obey this Word of God and not be involved? Now, what are the reasons for human government? The Bible tells us that human government is ordained of God. Did you know that God sets up kings and God brings kings down? That God ordains rulers and sometimes God sets up wicked rulers? God does that. For example, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, Daniel said concerning the Lord, He removeth kings and setteth up kings. God takes them down and God puts them up. That's what the Word of God says. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. Now I'll give you a prime example of that. One of the mightiest potentates in the Old Testament was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar ruled over ancient Babylon. And Daniel was in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel had a chance to prophesy and testify to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar where his power came from. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 23, God said through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And he was not a godly king. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he got so rotten full of himself, he got so full of pride that God judged him and he ended up crawling around on all fours eating grass like an ox with long fingernails. <laughs> this man who was so stuffed full of himself, God set him up and God brought him down. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon. Let me give you another king. Who do we think of as the arch-villain so much in the Old Testament? Oh, Pharaoh. Well, how did Pharaoh get his kingdom? Well, God raised Pharaoh up. Pharaoh was wicked, malevolent, anti-God, a murderer of little babies. But now listen to this. Romans 9, verse 17, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. But I might show my power in thee. God said, I brought you up and I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to show my power in you, old Pharaoh. Remember the man, that pussyfooting politician, Pilate, who didn't have the moral rectitude and courage to release Jesus? And he washed his lily-white politician's hands and said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. But it was Pilate that had Jesus Christ in front of him. And Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or to release you? Now let me give you the answer that Jesus gave to Pilate. In John chapter 19 and verse 11, Jesus said to him, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Even Pilate 
Even Pilate, who allowed Jesus to be crucified, Jesus said, you don't have any authority. You don't have any power, except it was given to you from above. That's a very interesting thing. Because of the three illustrations I've given you now, all three of these were wicked men. And yet God allowed them to have power. The authorities that be are ordained of God. Who was the authority when Paul wrote this? Old Caesar. The Roman government was in power. That was not a democracy. The Christians were disenfranchised. They had no political power. As a matter of fact, what they believed was illegal because they would not say Caesar is Lord. And yet, under that aegis, the apostle wrote, the powers that be are ordained of God. The Bible says if you resist these authorities, in verse 2, you're resisting God because it is God that set them up. Well, I know what you're thinking right now. You say, well, wait a minute. Do you mean that some king, some potentate, some fat toad sitting upon the throne may tell me to do this or that and I am to do it? Contrary to the word and the will of God? Well, hold on to that thought and we'll get to that thought. But now listen to me. I want you to get this point down in your heart, in your mind, that God ordains human government for two reasons. He tells us right here. Number one, to restrain evil. Look, if you will, in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, he says here, uh, For their rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. Reason number one that God has given us human government is for restraint, to restrain evil. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard this? You can't legislate morality. If you haven't heard it, you've been asleep for 50 years. You can't legislate morality. That is absolutely true. You can't legislate morality. There is not a law on earth that can make you moral. That's the reason we have to have laws that legislate against immorality. Now listen, you can't legislate morality. Law can't make you good. Only God can make you good. Government is not here to make you good. It can't make you good. Only God can make you good. Government is here to restrain evil. There's not a law on earth can make you love me. So I have to have one to keep you from killing me. See? There's not a law on earth that can make you honest, so we have to have laws that keep you from stealing. There's not a law on earth uh, that can uh, keep you from lying, so we have to have laws against perjury. You see, you don't legislate morality, but you do legislate against immorality. And uh, thank God for those who are here to restrain evil. And I want to say something else. It's about time we said a good word for the policeman. I'm sick and tired of policemen being put upon. I took this out of my files. Listen to it. A policeman is many things. He is a son, a brother, a father, an uncle, and sometimes even a grandfather. He is a protector in time of need and a comforter in time of sorrow. His job calls for him to be a diplomat, a psychologist, a lawyer, a friend, and an inspiration. 
He suffers from an overdose of publicity about brutality and dishonesty. He suffers far more from the notoriety produced by unfounded charges. Too often, acts of heroism go unnoticed, and the truth is buried under all the criticism. The fact is, listen to this, less than one-half of one percent of policemen ever discredit their uniform. That's a better average than you'll find among clergymen. A policeman is an ordinary guy who is called upon for extraordinary bravery for us. His job may sometimes seem routine, but the interruptions can be moments of stark terror. He is the man who faces a half-crazed gunman, who rescues a lost child, who challenges a mob, and risks his neck more than we realize. He deserves our respect and profound thanks. A policeman stands between the law abider and the lawbreaker. He is the prime reason your home hasn't been burned, your family abused, and your business looted. Try to imagine what would happen if there were no policemen around. And then try to think of ways to make their job more rewarding. Show them the respect you really have. Offer them a smile and a kind word. See that they don't have to be magicians to raise their families on less than adequate salaries. We think policemen are great. We thank God for all the little boys who said they would be policemen and who kept their promise. We hope you feel the same way. And we hope you will show it so there will always be enough good policemen to go around. Amen. He is the minister of God to thee for good. He is there to restrain evil. And the Bible says that he bears the sword. A sword is an instrument of death. Sometimes the government, in order to restrain evil, must take life. Now I want you to listen to me, friend. The scripture that says, Thou shalt not kill. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Now, this scripture in the Ten Commandments means, and the Hebrew Translation bears it out that thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt take no personal vengeance. But friend, the same person who wrote Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13 wrote Exodus chapter 21 and verse 12. Whoever else he was, he wasn't insane, a madman. And what did he say in Exodus 21 verse 12? He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. The same Bible. The same Bible. Chapter next to chapter. One chapter says, Thou shalt not kill, that is, don't do murder. And the next chapter says, If you do, you ought to be put to death. He beareth not the sword in vain. The sword is an instrument of death. Now why is this? Well, the Bible said way back in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, listen to it. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. All murder is killing, but all killing is not murder. All murder is killing, but all killing is not murder. Again, listen to it. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For he, that is man, uh, in the image of God made he man. The God that gives life is the God that has the right to take it. 
And God has His ordained ministers to do His work for Him. And that is the civil magistrate. Somebody says, that is cruel, Pastor Rogers. I thought you were a man of love. Friend, you may not believe what I'm saying is based on love, but I don't want to be any more loving than Almighty God, and God is infinite love. And I'm giving you the Word of God, and if you don't believe Genesis 9, 6, when you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, take it up with God, okay? God is love. You see, the coddling of the murderer is really cruelty to the community. Don't think that you're more wise or loving than God Himself. There are people who say, well, uh, capital punishment. <laughs> That's not an inhibition to murder. Well, in some cases it is. Uh, I want to tell you that, that Henry VIII pardoned a murderer one time, and that murderer, after having been pardoned, killed another man. They came back to Henry VIII, and they said to, to King Henry, pardon him again. He said, oh, no. He said, he killed the first man, I killed the second man. He won't kill anymore. And the man died for his crime. You see, it does inhibit some from killing again. Some say, well, God is too good to punish sin. No, God is too good not to punish sin. Now, if you don't believe that God believes in capital punishment, I want to ask you this question. Who crucified Jesus? Well, you say the Roman soldiers. Well, they were the instruments that nailed him to the cross. You say, well, the Jewish council. Yes, they were the ones that hounded him to the cross. But if you study your Bible carefully, you'll understand that God the Son died at the hands of God the Father. He hath put him to death. That's what the Bible says. Uh, that God the Father poured out his wrath upon his only Son. Why? Because God's Son was standing in our place. God was my substitute. Jesus was my substitute. He took my place. And therefore, he took the death that I should die. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the cross was capital punishment. That's what it was at the hands, really, of Almighty God. And coming up tomorrow, we'll hear part two of this vital message here on Love Worth Finding. But maybe today, as you've listened, you have questions about who Jesus is, what he means to you, how to begin a relationship with God through Christ. Go to our Find God's Love page at lwf.org slash radio, and you'll discover resources and materials that will answer questions you may have about your faith. Now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message in its entirety, call us at one love god and mention the title Christian Citizenship. This message is also part of the insightful series Foundations for Our Faith, for that complete three-volume collection, all 27 powerful messages, call 877-LOVE-GOD, or you can order online at lwf.org radio, or write us at Love Worth Finding, Box 38600, Memphis, Tennessee, 38183. You may not know you can also purchase our new Bible studies, much like this message, in our online store. For more, go to the website lwf.org slash radio. Well, thanks for studying in God's Word with us today. If you want to partner with us in sharing these timeless messages, consider becoming an ambassador of the Word. You can learn more about that at the website. 
lwf.org radio. And join us tomorrow for the convicting conclusion of Christian citizenship right here on Love Worth Finding. Here's a comment we received online from a listener who supports this ministry. He said, I believe it's God's will for Love Worth Finding to continue to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And I'm glad to be able to contribute to the ministry as God provides. May Love Worth Finding continue on until Christ returns for his church. God bless. Well, at Love Worth Finding, that is our mission, to draw people to Jesus and help believers grow deeper in their faith. And we want to continue doing that. As a thank you for your support right now, we'd love to send you our new More Than Conquerors Bible Study. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul explains how to walk through uncertain times by laying a solid faith foundation. In this study, Adrian Rogers examines the core practices of the Christian life and shares how to live as victors in Christ Jesus. Request this resource when you call with a gift at 1-877-LOVE-GOD.